702. Masterclass. So the first ever film in Afrikaans, uh, which is a dialect of Afrikaans, as I was saying, um, has uh, been been made. And we join now Ephraim Gordon, who is the co-founder of Paper Jet Films and Nachflich Films about uh, Barakat. So take out the trailer if you can, and we'll tell you about where you'd be able to find opportunities to, to watch it as we support local content. But over and above this, of course, uh, it's, an, it's an effort to give us a, 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 just a glean into a particular subculture, into the way of life of people with uh, who live uh, in the the Western Cape, particularly from the Cape Flats, um, and Ephraim is with us to uh, tell us more about Barakat. Good afternoon, Ephraim. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, I just loved the trailer. It just leaves you <laughs> smiling. Um, you laugh at, in, in parts. I mean, I'm a parent. I'm a daughter to a single mother. Yep. Um, and so there's just so much to relate to in the story. Just give us a brief Thank synopsis. So much, give us a brief synopsis for our listeners as to what Barakat is about. I think before I do it, I just must make just one little correction. Mm-hmm. Um, Barakat is not necessarily the first uh, feature film in Africa. I mean, they have been before. They've been Nomasir and Derdach, Nomeskoli, Alan Bucky, you know, a bunch of others. This is just the first. Yeah, this is just the first um, that centers around a Cape Muslim family. Oh, I see. So there's uh, the distinction. You know? mm-hmm. So that's the dis- distinction. But I mean, Barakat is a, is, is a family film. It's a film about a matriarch who mm. needs to bring her uh, four adult sons together under the same roof again. Uh, they're still dealing with their, the grief of, you know, the, the, their father's passing a few years back. But she needs to bring them together to, to tell them that she's found love again. Yes. And that's all done around Eid. And uh, the film uh, plays off in the last weekend of Ramadan before Rabba, before La Baran. Mm. Uh, so it's uh, a, a family movie. Uh, set in Cape Town on the Cape Flat in Lansdowne. Yes, yes, and I think lots of families uh, would be able to relate to some of the dynamics because the boys are resistant to what the mother has to tell them, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> They're yeah. quite resistant to that. Um, and uh, just the, the, the need, the importance of showing this side of the community uh, in the Cape Flats, and this is a side that often goes untold. Yes, I mean, of course, I like historically we've seen very different representations of ourselves. Yeah. Um, if you think of life on the Cape Flats, if you think of the, the, the lives of colored people and brown people in general, uh, it's um, always depicted in a way, often depicted in violent ways. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we thought, let's change the narrative. And I think that's what a film like Barakat is trying to do. That's what a lot of filmmakers at the moment are trying to do, to change the narrative mm-hmm. around who we are and what, uh, and, and to show a side of ourselves that's, you know, gentle and kind and light and loving and, you know, um, to, to show family. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the one thing that connects us as people to other peoples. And I think it's important to show that side of ourselves. Yes. Um, in terms of the dialect, uh, we come from a world and we live in a province and in a country where Afrikaans has been compartmentalized and has the, the, the language has historically been used often as a weapon of oppression. Mm-hmm. And uh, we wanted to show that there are people 
who were previously oppressed people who speak the Afrikaans language as their mother tongue and speak it in very specific ways uh, and have ownership of that language. And it is a part of their culture um, and not necessarily the oppressive part of it, but that it's a language that lives uh, in our homes and it will continue to live in our homes. And um, we need to show that to the world that there's a different side to this language. Yes. And I think also what you're doing is shifting perceptions of the language itself, because we know that there's a lot of uh, societal judgment uh, on those who do speak it, whether in a professional setting or in an education setting. There's still a lot of work to be done to break down certain perceptions. Yes, definitely. And that's often perceptions from outside of the Afrikaans-speaking community. Within the Afrikaans-speaking community, there there exist similar tensions um, between dialects and between what it is to have to speak standard Afrikaans and who determines the standards of my language. Um, Afrikaans as a language was developed from many many different um, ingredients. You know, some of it comes from Dutch, some of it comes from the local Khoisan languages, some, you know, some of the words, uh, stuff comes from Khosa, some come from all over the Indian Ocean, Malay, Arabic, and all these things together because of the slave trade at Cape Town that brought so many different peoples together, this language as a means of communication, as a need to communicate developed. So it contains all these different influences. And I think we should never fail to acknowledge that it is a language with so many different sides, so many different facets, and they all should um, carry equal weight and should be celebrated. Yes, yes. Um, and would you say that you're part of the movement? Because it, we know that Afrikaans is not just a dialect, but infused in it, of course, is a culture, is a way of life, but there's a movement that's emerged out of it too. Oh, of course. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to be part of, of, of a movement like this. I mean, 10 years ago, you would never hear someone speak in this dialect or many other Afrikaans dialects. But now I think the gatekeepers of the language have realized that the only way to make the language live uh, into the future is to allow it to be represented in all its different shapes and forms, uh, no matter whether you uh, uh, approve of a particular dialect, but there are people who speak it. Mm -hmm. And that should live in... The, 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 the common consciousness of all Afrikaans speakers, irrespective of color, irrespective of race, irrespective of religion, and it should become part of the larger South African lexicon. Yeah. And I think it's important for all these other dialects, and in my case, in our case, particularly Afrikaans, to uh, enjoy its place under the sun. Mm, mm. Um, I remember my guest, in fact, uh, the, the guest that's coming up after you, uh, Ephraim, uh, Dr. Quentin Williams, says yeah. that this is actually an act of appropriation, reappropriation, uh, because of that uh, denial of uh, the denial to identify with Afrikaans fully. Yes. I mean, um, there's different theories as to how the Afrikaans language came about, mm. you know. Mm. Um, of course, a particular theory was chosen and that has become the rule and the story we tell. But there exists um, stories and there are, are ways of legitimizing Afrikaans as a language and as a, a dialect that has been in existence since the Afrikaans language came about. Yes. You know, it's not something that developed afterwards. 
it's, it's it's a fusion of cultures and it lies in the way we say tay. It lies in particular words we use um, every day that might not even be written in the Afrikaans yeah. uh, dictionary. Yeah. But that is part of my Afrikaans. It's part of where I come from. And that to me is Afrikaans. And it is Afrikaans for a lot of people until they go to school mm. <laughs> and told that your Afrikaans is not right and your Afrikaans is different. And I think it's the difference of that language and uh, different, uh, the diversity of the language that will make the language lose the stigmas of the past yeah. because the language uh, is spoken by people who have been the former oppressor and the former oppressed. And mm. it, is through us recognizing that the language is called into existence through different voices, uh, that that uh, process of reconciliation within the language and acceptance of the rest of the country of the language can start to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, what you're saying is so powerful, and I think in it there are lessons for uh, society broadly. I remember with one of my cousins back in the day when we were still in primary school, and she managed to uh, get space at, uh, 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 because obviously we had a tiered education system, and when she got into the Model C school, their pronunciation was corrected. They would have to stay during breaks (laughs) because Mr. Jacobs wanted them to not say birthday, but they had to say birthday. You know, so it's exactly. it's 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 the it's the trauma uh, and and the denial of uh, full expression. So there's so many lessons in the work that's curry- that's going on at the moment around Africaps. So um, we yes, and you're right. It doesn't just exist in 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 Afrikaans. It exists in in English and many other languages mm. in this country. Mm. Mm. So tell the, the the film. Where is it at the moment? How would our listeners be able to watch it? So we were in cinemas for a while, and you know there were some complications around COVID and things like that um, when cinemas closed. Currently, we are on DSTV box office. Yes. So yes. you can rent it on box office. Yes. Um, that that's where we where it lives now. Mm-hmm. Um, as time goes on. We will update the public on our Facebook page and, and, and on, on our social media as to where they could find it on other places. Yeah. But currently, the only place to find it is on DSTV box office. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much, Ephraim, and all of the best. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That's Ephraim Gordon, uh, the co-founder of Paper Jet Films and Nachflich uh, Films. And he is in, was involved in the production of Barakat, which tells the story of a cape uh, uh, of a, a widowed Muslim mother who finds new love, um, but she falls in love with a Christian man and she wishes to marry, they, they wish to get married. However, she's got these four boys. She's got these four sons who are still trying to come to terms with the loss of their father. So there's just so much relatability. It is a family story. Uh, so check it out on Box Office if you can. 702 Masterclass. Now, we brought you a brief understanding of uh, the film Barakat, which just gives us such a perfect opportunity to explore Afrikaps. And now we're joined by Dr. Quentin Williams. He's the director for the Center for Multilingualism and Diversities Research at the University of the Western Cape. Um, and he's also equally excited about the growth of Af- Afrikaps. And, um, uh, and he's doing interesting work, fascinating work in this regard. Um, Dr. Williams, good afternoon. A pleasure to have you on the show. 
Good afternoon, Azania. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, you were listening in on that conversation with Ephraim, and yes. uh, I just love the passion and the love with which this project was done. Um, and yes. yes, and before we get going, we have Rashid, who's given us a call from Johannesburg South, who also wants to comment about the origins of Afrikaans, and then we'll get your perspective. Uh, Rashid, oh. thanks for your patience. Hi. Hi, Azania. Shahid here from Mondia. Oh, Shahid, my um, apologies. No problem. I forgive you. Um, Azania, Afrikaans, mm. and basically the origins of it, right? And it's sad to hear that uh, the term Afrikaans is spent because the slaves, your koi koi, the Malay, collectively started this language, what we know as Afrikaans. Mm-hmm. And Dalian Matia, the author of Criminal Boss and a Phil African, actually is one of the few um, Afrikaans authors that rightfully said, look, Kitchen Dutch is what we know as mm-hmm. Afrikaans today. Mm-hmm. And it was started by the slaves in, in, in the Western Cape, right? And just hear my analogy. If you are Dutch settlers coming from uh, Holland, you speak the language called Dutch, right? You have your, your, your uh, natives, so-called natives, that can't speak the language, and it, it becomes Kitchen Dutch, right? And that's why there's so much similarity between Afrikaans and Kitchen Dutch. Now, for, 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 for those people that's, that's truly the architects of the language, to be marginalized, to say, mm-hmm. okay, what you speak today is Afrikaans, they're not really Afrikaans. For me, that's blatant theft. Afrikaans was started um, as Kitchen Dutch by the slaves, um, uh, the Khoi Khoi, the Cape Malay, all those collective uh, natives, mm-hmm. uh, what we know as Afrikaans today. So I, I feel very sad by hearing mm-hmm. that the term Afrikaans is basically given to what was truly started as Afrikaans. It was just packaged in the textbook, and yes, history has its flaws, um, but I just feel if someone must basically do a true chronological order of events, we will hear and, and see that Afrikaans was basically started by the natives in the Western Cape. Yes, so, Shahid, and it's, it's, also, it's also not slaves, it's enslaved people. That's also sure, something I'm sure. trying to learn too with time. But thank you for that contribution, uh, Shahid. And that's really also what we'll be exploring as part of this conversation. Um, Dr. Williams, it was also uh, yeah. uh, Dr. Neville Alexander who said as right. well that the Khoi, the San and the Malay, uh, the enslaved right. people, weren't if they weren't forced to, to learn and speak Dutch, then Afrikaans wouldn't exist. Yeah. Let's look at its origins. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That quote from Neville Alexander comes from the Afrikaans documentary. Thank you mm-hmm. for, for quoting it so accurately. I think the, the history of, of Afrikaans and especially the uh, enslaved or the slave history of Afrikaans needs to be uh, correctly and inclusively described. Uh, look, Afrikaans is a label just as much as CARPS is a label, just as much as standard Afrikaans is a label. Um, we know for certain um, by reading the, the, the diaries of, let's say, Jan van Riebeek, uh, we know for certain um, looking at the documents of the FOC, the Dutch East India Company, that indeed um, uh, that the early origins or the Creole origins of, of Afrikaans, um, which a, uh, should be explored, were, weren't really spoken by slaves who were born at the Cape or what was then known as Cap de Boa Esperanza, the Cape of Good Hope. Mm. Um, during the 1500s, it, we have early records of uh, um, 
uh, you know, an early form of uh, Carp's Hollands or Cape Dutch being spoken. At that point, it was an extremely um, um, uh, multilingual uh, um, 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 society, and rightly so, influenced by the Koyan sun. But as time ticked on, um, the, the Dutch, including the Portuguese, brought slaves to the Cape. Um, the Dutch specifically from uh, the colony of, of Patavia, which is the day known as Jakarta in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that slaves such as, or the enslaved such as Anna de Konung and uh, Angela from Bengala were brought here. But at that time when they came, they already spoke a, a, a form of old Javanese, which they brought with them to the Cape. Mm. I'll give an example. The word aware that is used every day by Cubs or Afrikaans speakers. The word aware does not originate at the Cape. It comes from Batavia, in wow. today known as Jakarta, and it is still used. But it, it was used as a verb in, in Batavia that was brought by the slaves and then transformed into a greeting word. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if somebody in Jakarta or Batavia said, Jana Aweti would marang Petrus, that is, John gives money to Peter, that's that word, that verb, aware to give, yeah. traveled with boats to our shores, um, and then was taken up not only by the enslaved, mm-hmm. um, but also by the Kokoyan son, because the Kokoyan son still uses the word aware. Mm-hmm. But here's the interesting part. That particular word, is also an Arabic greeting word called awefe. Mm-hmm. And that means to give good health. And that gives us indication that it was used by the Malay speakers, yes, and also the early Muslim speakers. So really the source of, of, of Afrikaans is a source that goes back to its Creole origins before its standardization, before the gericht, the genootskap van rechte Afrikaners decided to standardize uh, Afrikaans and take it away um, from the original speakers of, of, of Afrikaans. I'm not disputing what um, 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 what your listener says, but there are contradictions there. And I think what we need to understand is if we do go back to the origins of Afrikaans and try to understand the emergence and the roots of Cubs or Afrikaans, we have to understand it, it happened within a multilingual uh, um, environment um, and it wasn't uh, only spoken in the kitchen, therefore you get kitchen Afrikaans mm. spoken by the inside. But it was spoken in this rich milieu uh, amongst uh, um, uh, 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 many speakers. Mm. By the time, and just to one, add one point on, one last point on that, you know, Herman Guillaume uh, in his book on, on the origins of Afrikaans or this, this history of Afrikaans, in his chapter two, one of the uh, uh, young uh, characters, he is peeing against a statue, and and oh. somebody asked him, uh, and he says, Ik bin den Afrikaner. Mm. By the time he said that, um, post-1652, mm. there was already a well-structured uh, uh, um, form of Afrikaans, um, which we don't today know as Carps Afrikaans. Right. Is that how the word itself, what for the language, came about? Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
I've got to take yeah, headlines, uh, Dr. Sure. Williams. Let's take the, the news headlines and um, we look forward to your contributions. If you're listening in on this conversation, 011-883-0702 and also drop us a voice note or send us a text on the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. Today's masterclass is on Afrikaps and um, there's lots of work that's happened over the years, including a documentary called Afrikaps. Do check it out. There's some content online. Um, but what formed the inspiration for today was um, uh, Barakat, which is this new film that tells the story of a widowed Muslim mother um, and her journey through finding love after being widowed. And you're going to love it. It's a family film, but it just gave us the perfect opportunity to explore the history and so much more about Africa. So more with Dr. Quentin Williams after the latest in Eyewitness News. It's 702 Masterclass we turn now to our masterclass and we've been speaking to Dr. Quinton Williams, the director uh, of the Center for Multilingualism and Diversities Research at the University of the Western Cape. And he's been taking us through really quite a comprehensive history of Afrikaans, um, its origins, and of course, uh, Afrikaps, which is really the focus of today's masterclass, which is more, of course, than a dialect. It's a movement. It's a, it's a, it's a language, a spoken language by, um, particularly people in the Western Cape. And of course, there are works being created in Afrikaps. Let's go to Licking calling from Brakban. Hi, Licking. Hello, Alva. Uh, like <laughs> Don't tell me you're my Vitz Licking. Hello? Okay, go ahead, Licking. I went to Vitz with the Licking. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I thought maybe let me skip that part. <laughs> oh, it is you. Okay. <laughs> nice yes, to hear yes, from yes, you. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you know what, I was enjoying the discussion there because it's quite deep, you know, because my contribution is that the Africans have got that double negative. Mm. Now, that double negative is actually not unique to Africans, you know. It's there even in other sort of Creole languages, you know, because I heard you also saying Creole, you know. And there's also Creole and Patois. Mm. If you look at Haiti and Jamaica, in the Caribbean. There are French Creole there, you know, like Lauren Hill and those type of people. They are French mm. uh, Haitians, you know. And then you get also the Creole, uh, like the Patois, English Patois, which is spoken in Jamaica. It also uses the double negative. When the Jamaicans say, don't do something, they say, you must not, not do that. You mm-hmm. know, you must not, no, no one must not throw something mm. on the floor. Mm, yeah. mm. That's a double negative. So I, I just wanted to point that out that it's possible that Africans actually, and now I know I might get crucified for this, <clears throat> it's possible that Africans was actually not first spoken in South Africa, you know. Not Africans as such, but that Javanese, Malay, uh, Dutch type of uh, Creole could have also been spoken in places like uh, New Amsterdam, in, which was New York, <laughs> and also in Jamaica and Haiti. I mean, I'm not saying it's to be like that, you know. Okay. But if well, you look at the history of slavery and all those type of things, I just wanted to point out that that double negative yeah. in Africa is, is quite interesting. Mm. Well, let's get the view of our guest, Licking. Thanks. Uh, nice to hear from you. Any thoughts or reflections on that comment, Dr. Williams? Yes, that's that's extremely important to not to only point out the, the there's a you know that languages uh, um, when pe- are not outside um, speakers, 
speakers use languages and speakers come in contact with each other, whether they enslave each other or whether it's just by daily contact, everyday language use. And so that things like structural uh, syntactic um, forms, such as double negatives, do exist in, in all languages. Most famously in, in hip hop language, we have African-American English, uh, uh, you know, um, ain't got nothing, mm-hmm. uh, sort of double negatives. Mm. But to the idea of the Creole origins, in, indeed, uh, uh, um, whether it could come be, it could end up in New Amsterdam, um, you know, whether our words are appropriated, uh, you know, in terms of the Caribbean islands. We know another greeting word, for example, ahoy, <laughs> is used by Cub speakers a lot. And yes. ahoy is to, to grab somebody's attention. It means hi, hello. And it's, it, it, it does different uh, meaning word than away. We know historically that Ahoy um, was sort of used by the Nordic Vikings as a war cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Ho, Ahoy, and that is to mean to stop. Ah. And this is a very early use of uh, uh, Ahoy. But in through, uh, you know, a series of language contacts, um, it, the, the, that word was taken up by seafaring um, 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 men. Um, and usually, you know, it is then became used by, you know, uh, by, by boats and captains and seamen, uh, to hail another uh, vessel to stop that vessel. Mm. So it, the, the, it came from the Nordic Vikings into old and middle English. Um, and, you know, it can often refer, refer to a, a dock or cruise or freight, uh, or used by a skipper on, on a boat. Right. And, and often when you use it, you, you, when you see a ship or you say, land ahoy. Or sip ahoy. Um, so, but we know in South Africa it it was used and it most likely was brought by slaves enslaved of the Caribbean. Mm. And the the list the 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 the, 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 the listeners correct. We need to you know, to visit the slave uh, past. But here's the interesting fact about ahoy. It was first proposed by Alexander Graham Bell to be used when you pick up the phone. So oh. when you answer your phone, you say ahoy. <laughs> <laughs> but it quickly fell out of fashion and we, you know, we re- reverted back to hi and hello. Right. <laughs> That's a lovely little trivia about the word ahoy. Um, and where does Hamdal uh, factor in? Oh, yes. That is, um, I'll make it clear. Um, it is like Saver Afrikaans. Mm. Hamdal is a racist label that was popularized by the apartheid government. Mm-hmm. The word Ham in Hamdal uh, perpetuates a biblical narrative that God gave the Afrikaners Afrikaans, which is a complete and utter falsity. Uh, no uh, metaphysical being uh, gives uh, people a language. We created out of uh, our own uh, um, uh, into intellectual effort. Yeah. Um, so that Ham Tal, so Ham means Ham, it refers to the third child of, of Noah, of Noah mm-hmm. and Anist. Right, and so it's it's the it's the people in the dirt, the 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 working class people, the uncouth tongues, not worthy of 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 speaking a higher form of standard or pure language. Yeah, that is what it does. And you know the funny thing about Hamtal, it even though there was a large push by academics and linguists um, um, who were working on Cubs and Afrikaans Afrikaans during the eighties uh, and or uh, in in apartheid. To actually undo this this uh, label, including the hip hop artists such as Prophets of the City, yes. Rasa Van Kaab, 
um, um, academics, linguists, the academy sustained this idea of Hamtal uh, juxtaposed against pure uh, uh, Afrikaans. Mm. It is our, it's my belief and the work that we are currently doing because at our center we are developing the first dictionary yes. uh, of carbs. We have to raise the functions of carbs. We have to make it a language of teaching and learning. We have to make it a language for literacy development or further develop that so that we can get away from that hurtful racist label yes in fact in in africa you see mm. um the experiences of people who have who society has punished because they speak yeah. africa uh harshly yeah. judged and of course uh excluded from opportunities because they speak africa and so this yes. work that you you're saying needs to happen um potentially as i was speaking to reframe earlier on as well can remove these barriers um and conscientize yeah. society because i can imagine even in in the documentary it shows how uh, uh, school children, I think they in Lavender Hill, mm. but school children, yeah. when they visited by uh, the crew that is part of Africa and the theater piece that yeah. was done, uh, kind of struggle with this notion of then uh, uh, feeling confident, being confident about speaking Africa. The, the exact scene that you are describing there is that one of the learners, and it's extremely hurtful if I think about it now, I get very emotional, mm. that... Um, the learner says that even if he goes to an interview, he will sound like a gangster. Now, that's very unique to his English because he flattens the vowel in that we usually say as gangster. He says gangster. Yeah. What is more hurtful there is, um, if, is that we are misunderstanding the bilingualism and multilingualism of carp speakers. Just because learners, and if I made this point, um, speakers of carbs, when they grow up in the Cape Flats, the first Two languages that I hear is the, the number gang's language, that is the Sabella, and then a version of English that they speak. Yeah. Now, not, it's not because of their own fault. It's just that society has associated the way, with the way that they speak as, uh, um, uh, with the, 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 the language of the, the number gangs. They have reduced their bilingualism, multilingualism, to an ideology of monolingualism, and that forever perpetuates uh, um, the, uh, um, an additional layer of marginalization on top of them being work class um, in, in our society. We have to do better. We have to raise them up. Mm, mm. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps just listening to you and the work that lies ahead. Let's play a little bit of music because I also want to hear from you on the work that you that you, the universities uh, are doing in this regard. So um, let's play you music from uh, Remy E. And it is 80 Eerste Refir. Take a listen. <laughs> Yeah, that is music from Remy E. 80 Esther 
Um, and of course, there are a whole host of other hip hop stars. Uh, Dala what you must, what you must, actually, that comes from a uh, youngster in youngster in Cape Town. Uh, absolutely enjoy his music as well. So there is a growing movement. Um, there are works being created. Um, and as you were saying, Dr. Williams, that you're working on this dictionary and all these other efforts collectively help to document and to ensure that there is living uh, documented work around um, Afrikaans. Speaking of yeah. hip hop, you mentioned Braza Fandikap, you mentioned um, uh, uh, POC a little bit earlier on. But uh, your university also held Heal the, the Hood Hip Hop Lecture Series, uh, which right. is also about understanding uh, hip hop culture and some of the conditions in Cape Town uh, in, 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 that informs this work. Exactly, yes. Um, we, we are currently partnering with um, Heal the Hood in developing um, the dictionary, the first dictionary um, um, in carbs, on carbs, mm. because we can't do it without the community. You need the community's buy-in. Um, but the Heal the Hood Hip Hop Lexus series that we started um, at UWC was an attempt to bring together the academy and the community um, so that we can develop um, scholarship on, on hip-hop culture, the use of hip-hop language, um, address uh, identity issues, issues with, that re- relates to copyright and IP, um, as well as gender and other social issues that, that the hip-hop culture deals with um, on a daily basis. Um, hip-hop culture is inherently pedagogical, so it was an easy thing to do um, to get all the hip-hop artists together and then just sort of to debate and deliberate and to think through the various perspectives of how hip-hop actually has contributed to advancing uh, our society. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, we often have a very uh, uh, different um, perspective or understanding of hip-hop because of how it, 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 it speaks to uh, uh, gendered issues or on gender or does not address it. And, of course, hip-hop oftentimes is very good at projecting its um, inward on itself through braggadocio and other uh, um, uh, practices, but it's sometimes very uh, uh, limited in how it reflects comprehensively uh, um, uh, outward towards society. Uh, and so partnering, part, uh, my, my center and Hilda Hood felt it, uh, 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 that it needed to do uh, this particular uh, uh, lecture series mm. that coincides with the African hip hop uh, in Daba every year. Now, we have produced the first hip-hop text uh, or or handbook uh, uh, for African hip-hop, for the entire African continent. Uh, It's entitled Never Again, and it's published by the Human Sciences Research Council Press. Mm -hmm. And we have, in our first uh, um, print run, we we sold out in in, in a few weeks Mm -hmm. across the world. Uh, So everybody wants to really learn from the South African context and how we... Uh, um, as 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 a center and as a hip hop culture deals with transformation. Yes, yes. Oh, such important work. Um, let's take this call from Abdul, and then we'll play some voice notes as questions are coming in on zero seven two seven zero two one seven zero two. Abdul in Indonesia. Hello. Good afternoon, Azania. Good afternoon, How are Abdul. You? Very hey. good. Welcome. I, I really enjoy all your shows, eh? Oh, and uh, and uh, and good afternoon to Dr. Williams. Afternoon. Afternoon. You see, I have done some research on the development of the Afrikaans language. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and what I find that, you see, 
Only in 1910, when the Union of South Africa was made in the Constitution, which two languages were entrenched, English and the Dutch, up to that time, Afrikaans was not recognized by the Afrikaner. You see, only when Van den Lingen, the one who wrote the stem, he recognized Afrikaans about 1900 years ago. But if you look at the development of the Afrikaans language, you find originally the Afrikaans language was written in, in the Arabic script, what you call Alif Bata. <clears throat> and you find that I have got a book that was written 250 years ago by the great Effendi. I'm sure Dr. Williams will be acquainted with that. Now, he was a great scholar that was sent by the Ottoman Empire to the Cape to teach the Muslims there the language. And then he wrote the, the, the first book on Islamic uh, rules that was written in, in what you call uh, the, uh, the Arabic alphabet. And thereafter, you find that even all the other great imams of the Cape, they wrote, they wrote the, uh, the Afrikaans word, but in the Arabic, with the Alif Bata, with the Arabic script. Mm. And you find that even like, for instance, uh, some of the famous people like was Imam Edwards, Ismail Edwards. He also wrote several books in the Arabic in the Arabic script. So the originally the Afrikaans language, if you want to study the development of the Afrikaans language, you see Professor Van Sams, late of the University of Pretoria. Okay. He made a lot of research on this aspect. Mm. And I want some and I want some comments from Dr. Williams on that. Thank you. Thank you for that, Abdul. Thanks for the call. Dr. Williams? Yes. Um, thank you very much. Yes, indeed. Um, I completely agree. Um, but I, I come back to my, my previous point that yeah. they, they, there is a confluence of, of, of language contact situations um, that al- allows us to understand not only the Creole origins of Afrikaans, mm. um, but also uh, understand its its complicated future. Uh, just to add that the work of Ahmad Davids figures here importantly, uh, his book on the Afrikaans of the Cape Muslims. And I, and, and yes, I don't dispute the, the influence, but um, we can't, uh, um, you know, be stuck on the, the past, the history of Afrikaans, because Currently, what 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 was what concerns Afrikaans speakers yeah. is um, a voice that is the ability to be heard in all domains or all contexts of South Africa, mm. because, like I said again, it's not a language of teaching and learning, so it's not taught in schools or content is not taught in schools um, in our base, in our primary schools, because teachers also the majority of the teachers who teach Afrikaans still have a very negative. A view against CARPS as a language of teaching and learning. Yes. And so we need to uh, uh, um, uh, uh, transform or change that. And secondly, it has to be, has to do with agency. That is your ability to uh, bring about change. Mm. Now, CARPS speakers, CARPS speakers cannot do that because they are not, they don't fully take part um, in the economy. The, the linguistic landscapes, the signage on the Cape Flats is impoverished. There are no signage official signage in CARPS. So again, they are, are being disadvantaged. Yeah. Um, there's no uh, um, structures in place um, that will help them to uh, move out of the Cape Flats because what is currently happening, all research proves this or supports this, that instead of the uh, the moment the CARPS, Afrikaans speakers come to school, what happens is a gradual or rapid shift towards English. 
parents choose mm. to, to put the, the, the children in English classes, in spite of the fact that they are very strong uh, um, speakers, first language speakers of Afrikaans. Yeah, yeah. And so their path to uh, emancipation, to empowerment, to economic material gain is via English and not via standard Afrikaans. Right. Uh, we, we, we need to transform the basic education system and the university education system um, so that the CARB speakers can go to Stellenbosch University and be taught in CARBs, mm. can go to school mm. and be taught to CARBs. Nobody can, can eat a language. Mm. It is our responsibility as linguists, parents, academics, government to put structures in place so that CARB speakers can eat. Yes, yes. Oh, um, and that's also that also speaks to the future of Afrikaans. You know, we've, we right. we we see, uh, say, in the English language, how uh, every year there'd be a, a new word. Of course, like the word of the year, yeah. and English itself, right. of course, being a hybrid of so many, it's borrowed from a number of languages. Um, and right. do you, what do you foresee as the future of Afrikaans if we fail to make room for it to be able to borrow in keeping and be more inclusive? Yeah, yeah. When you hear somebody says, I speak Afrikaans, and when you hear somebody says, I speak Afrikaans, even if you don't speak, see the speaker, it evokes a particular idea of the speaker, who that speaker is. Because that speaker, you know that differentially that the one who speaks Afrikaans are probably the one who is located in a particular lower class, working class area, because the majority of the speakers of Afrikaans are working class speakers. Um, and if the, if you hear somebody says, speaks Afrikaans, it probably evokes a white Afrikaner speaker, stereotypically speaking. Mm. What, what needs to happen is we need to understand that the future of Afrikaans can, will very likely be cops, mm. but we, we will need to put plans in place to, uh, um, to really empower all the marginalized speakers of Afrikaans. Um, and, and, and our, our constitution, guarantees or has legislated for that to happen it just is incumbent on on us um to actually uh, uh help and, and and empower the the speakers look i mean the language certain dictionaries will tell you what the language um has been doing in our case what we want to demonstrate with the first dictionaries cups is also to illustrate how the language is transforming yes uh give you an example the uh the owner of the first, uh, uh, the colored owner of the first horse to, who won the Durban July. Mm. The name of the horse, the name of the horse is called Metidung. You can't say the horse's name is Kom Metidung because those are, f- uh, are different words. Yes. Um, if they use, if they are used separately, they mean four different meanings. Mm. But Kom Metidung reveals uh, uh, that this is a word that is glued together. It's a name of a horse. Um, it, 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 it is, you know, represents the horse's bravado, speed, and agility as a as a as a horse who races in this particular sport. Wow. Um, yeah. And that is part of the normative practice, contraction um, um, practice in Afrikaans speakers. Now, in Latin, we call this uh, agglutination, which is a normative practice in languages in Nguni languages such as Isitrosa mm-hmm. and Isizulu. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, uh, this agglutination. You know, in Latin it's called agglutinare. Basically, means it's words glued together, glued together. Uh, give new meaning um, um, to a particular uh, phenomenon. Yes. Or oh, 
Dr. Williams, we could listen to you all day. I actually want to sign up for a course right now. <laughs> I have a course actually just now happening now. So I have to actually go to my class. Yes, and we're out of time as well. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us and, of course, for the incredible work that you're doing. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Yes. Wow. That was our masterclass on Africa with Dr. Quinton Williams, Director of the Center for Multilingualism and Diversities Research at UWC.